Hey guys, welcome to Healthy Start. We're speaking to Neil Schoening today about how he turned his idea into the biggest fitness expo in Scotland. As well as picking his brain on marketing tips, we'll be talking about happiness and how he keeps himself motivated. Enjoy. Uh, so Neil, if you could give us like a one minute sort of rundown of your um, from setting up your first business to like where you're just- It can be your, longer than one life, minute. It can be longer than a minute. Work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just give us a sort of rundown of like where you've been and, and where you are now. Oh, good. So I'm Neil. Neil Shoney Mac is um, what I'm usually online, I guess. Um, weird story. Um, I originally kicked journey by launching Scotland's biggest ever uh, fitness as soon as I came out of university, uh, which we ran in Glasgow. ran it for four or five years prior to selling the company um, to uh, a big events company. In the, um, and in the meantime of that, a big thing happened for me was the pressure of the business to sell thousands of tickets and thinking that people buy it because it was a nice idea in my head and realizing I actually have to become a pretty exceptional marketer. <laughs> Um, that drove me to not try and become it instead to solve the problem, which was how can I sell to the event? And then that led to word of mouth, the other side of it as to, oh, they're, they're running these events of people to the event and they're weirdly not doing boards and they're weirdly not doing magazine articles and they're doing radio ads and TV ads. Instead, they're just doing media and Facebook ads. And that led to uh, one of these pimping me out to um, a friend of theirs who's in a gym. Uh, so that led to my first ever class and we spent £4,000 on their ads for seven weeks in £297,866 of membership sales before their doors had even opened. Um, and that led to word of mouth that created a, a subscribed agency, if you will. And then about three and a half, four years ago now, uh, moved into the coaching space because I want to have tons of staff and uh, I want to be able to work with more people. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's the quickest that I could do. No, that's <laughs> your nine that's year perfect. In there for you. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Everyone, a little bit of a background uh, where you're from. Um, so I really want to start with um, SNF. You came up with the idea and you know, what, how did you start it basically? Well, I, I was going to be running businesses anyway. Um, from a really, really young to go into business when I was old. Then I was the, the type of kid that uh, during the summer would in the Highlands of Scotland, this this probably wouldn't be relevant to many people, would, uh, be on the beach picking wilks and then selling them into the, the fish market. Um, so I was always looking for ways to be sort of entrepreneurial, not that I even knew was back then, of course. Um, but way university it was never to get a qualification that i planned on using and um, it was purely to just have fun and whilst i was there at nights and i suppose that gave me some good experience of events uh, as soon as i graduated i just started writing business for everything stupidity like uh thing absolutely no experience in if i saw a gap in the market write a business plan on it and i had like a hundred business plans on my computer and my uh, best friend and roommate at the time as well uh he said to me one night at like two in the morning whilst i'm writing a plan about i think it was a web <laughs> it was the idea of this website was to basically take loads of different retailers like i know anything about fashion uh take loads of different retailers and have all of their products plug and play into one website where you could show on one website for multiple 
retailers, right? So you don't have to jump from one side to another and so on. Maybe it's maybe it's the worst idea ever, and that's probably why it never did get done. Um, anyway, I had no experience in that, and he said to me, "Look, you only know two things. Like you know fitness, and you know event. Why don't you just run a fitness event?" And then I was like, "Good shout. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense." And then in my sort of mindset or the way that I sort of think about things is right. Well, let's run this one like right away with no experience. So, uh, who, who's running the biggest events, the biggest fitness events in Scotland. And instantly I realized that nobody was running exhibitions like this in Scotland at all. Um, soon I would realize why, <laughs> um, but at the moment it was more or less just, Oh, gap in the market. Fantastic. I love to write business plans on gaps in the market. Um, and I realized there was a huge event of its type down in, uh, down in England, so down in Birmingham. And so I was like, so this works, thousands and thousands of people go to it, but nobody's doing it in Scotland. Right, let's just go ahead and do it. And so I, at two in the morning, emailed um, who I found out was running the biggest exhibitions in Scotland. Um, literally just through a Google search, they were the first thing that came up. Turned out they were running the Scotch Wedding Show, uh, Iron Brew Carnival, caravan show loads of big ones at the seccc in glasgow i reached out to them literally said um i've got a big idea for running scotland's biggest ever fitness exhibition any chance i can take someone for a coffee and uh, do that annoying thing that people always message me about now picking brains right <laughs> can i just take you for a coffee and pick your brain no i don't have like an hour and a half i would love to i actually would love to sit down with everybody for an hour and a half and I, I i absolutely love coffee so i would love it if i could make that my every single day people don't usually have the time to do so but they were very accommodating and they messaged me back um in the morning and literally said can you meet us at lunchtime right so i i got that message um as soon as i got up and i went and saw them the next day and they uh they were great they let me into the ins and outs of what it costs to run this type of event um a little bit of the ins and outs of things that i wasn't even thinking of like that you have to pay thousands of pounds for security like things like that you just don't think about when you're thinking about throwing on an event you're like oh well like you know we'll sell exhibition stands we'll sell tickets and that'll be loads of revenue there and we won't have to have too many expenses because it's just a b and c and then there's a million different things you're not thinking mm -hmm. of like electrical outlets and um uh, cleaning like cleaning after the event and recycling like things like that you don't think of but they gave us a budget sheet for it um and then that that well they, they just gave you they just gave you a budget sheet of like everything yeah. they normally have to that's they, pretty they, helpful they literally gave me a budget sheet of a real event that they ran at the venue which was incredible nice. right Amazing. so um and ultimately the the sort of end of the story loop there as well sort of jumping ahead but still to end the story loop is that they, that's who ended up acquiring the event like four years later or five mm. years later um, so we started the we started the connection there right at the idea process. Um, they helped us get get on our feet and you know run the the first couple of events. And then uh, at about year three, they bought in. I think it was like twenty five percent of the business they bought. Um, and then when we got to year five or year four, then they acquired the rest of the business. Um, so that just that to, was the transition. Just to jump back, I want to know about year one. <laughs> year, year one was by far the most torturous year of my mm -hmm. life like it was, it was 
so painful it's actually hard to to put into words exactly what it was like um before before we jump into that do you mind before we kind of delve into year one because i know that's going to be something lewis is fascinated with by the big <laughs> smile on his face and like, when when you were scribbling down like business plans when you were back at school university or whatever like what was the motivation for that do you think that it was like was it money driven was it just the excitement of starting something new or like like what do you think was was your reasons for doing that games just absolute yeah. games. I, I only really made that connection uh, semi-recently because when I, when I was growing up, like all I wanted to do was play board games. Like I wanted to play games. I wanted to be in sports. I wanted to do anything that was competitive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more challenging, the better. Like I liked being terrible at spelling, but playing Boggle. And I loved losing and then getting really frustrated and then trying to learn and get better at it. And mm-hmm. so for for me personally, like I grew up in um religious household and um in the Highlands of Scotland where like nobody would ever talk about money anyway. So that plus religious household and stuff, don't make money your God, that sort of thing that, that mm-hmm. always comes through in that sort of um that sort of scenario, that was sort of ingrained in me. So like, you know, even now when I'm helping people um like increase their revenue. I mean, I have to talk about that stuff because it's a major motivator for people to want to mm-hmm. work with a marketing coach, right? However, first of all, I hate talking about it. So like, it makes me cringe when I have to specifically do a post that's a- around money, but mm-hmm. I know that I have to do it because it is like, it's topical and it's, it's what they need to hear. But on the other side of things as well, when I acquire a customer and they come into the marketing coaching, obviously one of our probably the first thing that we're focused on is how to get them from a to b in terms of their revenue right so it has to be because it's the main thing that they're going to measure but the thing that gets us excited on the back end is seeing their life change and so you'll see me post a lot more because it makes me happier you'll see me post a lot of testimonials that are yeah it's great because they went from let's say 3k a month to 30k a month and that's awesome but the big motivator is when um, the same person, like Cara, for example, that just popped into my head there with with that uh, 3K to 30K, she sent me a picture of her son going to his first day of private school. And that's what she always wanted for him. And mm-hmm. so it's like those life-changing moments are, are the motivators. Um, but to bring it back anyway to, to sort of the, the major motivator, it was always just gamification. Not that I really knew that that's what was motivating me, but it was yeah. it was having that that um, having the risk of failure makes it so interesting. You know, I guess that's kind of because you work with Facebook ads a lot, don't you? Like with a lot of the content, you do like it kind of is gamifying the system a little bit, isn't it? Like I know from like we've mentioned a good friend of ours, like Gavin Bell as well. He works in the Facebook space, and just talking to him, it is all a big game of finding out what works and capitalizing on that. So yeah, it does feel like you've you found your place yeah. <laughs> with what you used to do. That that's it, and it it is all a game, and it's a game that that you can almost guarantee success with if you're patient and you have a system behind it. Um, So obviously this, this isn't true for people who have shoddy products and, you know, bad Mm -hmm. positioning in the marketplace, but if people actually have good products and services, then it is just a game. And, you know, it might be the first thing you try might just absolutely fly. And that wasn't meant to rhyme. Um, But 
it could be that or it could be the seventh thing that you try or it could be the first thing that you try but edited and you know tweaked um until mm -hmm. it, it becomes successful but it's borderline for for good products and services it's a guarantee like that's the mm -hmm. way i look at it and you know nobody in our space really guarantees results or uh, or money back but it's something that we actually introduced because we were like as long as they like the, the the two boxes they need to tick on their side now for the private coaching is you need to turn up to your one-to-one -one calls where we set your strategy and then you have to implement it and if you show us that you show, showed up to your calls and you implemented the strategy if you don't make your full investment back after 12 months we won't give you back the difference we'll give you back every penny so that mm -hmm. it's been a positive result um and i mean we've we've got that in place nobody's ever asked for it <laughs> because we we get them there as long as they're um you know mm -hmm. engaged with it actually on that on that point we will get back to like your first year because i'm super interested in hearing about <laughs> everyone's absolute pain you um, just love the pain <laughs> i've just got a, i've just got a theory that people who are doing well now had absolute horrific pain in the beginning and the resilience it builds up so that's why i like to like to, you know really kind of focus on that so i feel like i learn from it as well when i hear from other people's experiences um but just on the topic um of social media do you think it's too monetized now and like you know something that started as like i mean i even look back to like four years ago when i had a, a couple of thousand followers and i had way more engagement and all of a sudden it's just it started off as this sort of nice thing and i guess everything kind of does but it started off as this like nice social platform you know good way to interact with people from a business perspective it was like an amazing way to interact with customers like direct and now it's got to, and i know this is kind of like your business <laughs> um but like do you not think that maybe social media has just become too monetized and you know we, we basically see what large businesses want us to see yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean uh every single social media platform goes through this sort of cycle where they're the new kid on the block they've got incredible reach so people can become instant instantaneously famous if they just uh you know hit the nail on the head with something that's viral uh for businesses it can be absolutely incredible for that same reason um but as soon as they bring in an ad platform because rarely will any social media platform have a, an ads platform on it in the first year or two when they bring it in it's usually the lowest cost per ten thousand people seeing your advert um by an absolute mile as well so it's really cheap in comparison to everybody else it becomes the new exciting place for businesses to go like right now TikTok ads a lot of people are are experimenting with them uh, because it's so low cost to advertise there um Different demographic, though, that's the thing that a lot of people aren't really bringing into the conversation, but still, um, you know, very, very low cost to get in front of people on TikTok. But then even that becomes something that becomes saturated. And then that's where, you know, uh, the platform monetizes really well and things become a little bit more challenging for the advertisers. But once that cycle gets to that stage and that's where Instagram is, it's where Facebook is, it's almost where LinkedIn is at the moment because a lot of people are advertising there. It's actually now almost where YouTube is as well uh, for, for advertising and uh, virality, et cetera. Then it gets really, really challenging for, for the small business owner that isn't going to use advertising um, you know, and things like that. But I suppose on the other hand, 
you could say something that's a little bit of a benefit is for small businesses, it's got a trillion times easier to advertise well. You know, things have become very, very systemized. I mean, anybody who ran advertising six, seven years ago on Facebook will remember when we used to have to download our campaigns, edit them and re-upload them. Like it, it was it was a really, really messy um, system with Power Editor back in the day. Um, that's no longer there. Now it's just ads manager and create a campaign via the green button and go through the seven steps of creating your campaign. And, you know, it's very systemized. Not that that's a perfect, uh, not that it's a perfect system. Um, it feels like that when you create that campaign, but it's not. Um, but it's still a trillion times easier than what used to be the only thing available to, to people who were uneducated in Facebook ads, which was the boost button. Now it's become much easier for people to get started with more detailed ads, more detailed targeting, that type of thing. Cool. Um, well, yeah, just to jump back to that first year then. Uh, <laughs> so I guess with an event like that, you are looking at some startup capital. Um, you, you, you would think so. <laughs> we, we got told, we ended up um, actually going to Business Gateway probably about two months out from the event hoping that they'd actually give us a way of finding some uh, some capital because they said that the way that we started the business was the most stupid way that anybody could ever start a business, which is you go into a business where literally at the start, you sign your life away on contracts worth, you know, six figures plus total, right? And um, with no money in your bank, at all no backers nothing we were two thousand pounds into our student overdrafts barely getting by and um, hadn't paid my council tax so i had a debt collector on me you know it wasn't in a good space and then there was people chasing us for cash all the time from these contracts and the split payments up until the event and uh, the game plan here was well if we can secure the venue etc then technically we're allowed to use the name of the venue and the dates, et cetera, to advertise the event. We'll sell loads of exhibition stands with ease because nobody else is doing this. And uh, of course, because nobody else is doing this in Scotland, just like people will just be taking our hands off for these tickets, right? And then you realize very quickly that it isn't the case. And there's probably a reason why people weren't um, uh, running this type of event in Scotland because it was gonna be much more difficult, right? And so we signed our lives away for uh, for for the event um, and uh, funding the event, even though we had no money to even put down the deposit yet. And then we got to work on trying to sell the first few exhibition stands. And I mean, it must have been about four months of constant cold calling before we sold our first stand. Like it was like, we've already signed our lives away. We can't get out of this now. So when it got to month two, for example, and we still hadn't sold a stand, it wasn't an option to go, all right, so it doesn't work. All right, new idea, right? It was already done. It had to work. Did you ever have those moments where you thought this isn't going to work? Oh, oh yeah. Big, big time. Like, like con consistently. <laughs> like it was... Um, it, it, wa it wasn't a good headspace I was in at all throughout that period because it was like, it, it was going on to every single call or sending every email. And it was like, it was just praying for something to be different because we had no expertise in business, right? So I had like a bit of marketing experience from 
uh, from the side of running club nights and stuff. But I mean, not not for selling um, exhibition stands at tens of thousands of pounds to people when, you know, when I was like 22 years old and looked about 13 years old, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, very good. And if anybody challenged me on like, what's your experience? You know, I couldn't lie to them. So I had to say like, this is, yeah, this is my first ever event. And how old are you? I'm 22. And you know, that type of thing. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like I had anything in my corner to, to really back mm -hmm. it up. And so trying to sell those those first stands was, was absolutely torture. And um, it was actually going into the educational space of like learning marketing that um, actually ended up solving the problem for me. So it's, I think that's re it's really refreshing for people to see because I went to that first year the, that you did run it and it was a brilliant it was a brilliant event. So fair play to you. And and I think from the outside, people would have looked at it as, oh, this is just really well run and really well planned. And they just would have no idea that all of this went on behind the scenes. So I think it's going to be really refreshing for people to hear that. And like how how was because this is kind of one thing we really want to focus on with with this podcast is people's mental health and the impact the business has upon that. So like, how were you during that time? Because that is incredibly stressful. I know you probably had the um, the benefits of youth and you can probably handle a little bit more than you probably could now. But like, how was your mental health throughout that time? Well, I remember, well, a very easy, easy thing to, to imagine here. So I went from uh, just over 11 stone um, in about six months in the run up to the event. And I went down to somewhere in the region of about six stone or six and a half stone. So like I lost so much weight. I just couldn't eat at all. I just felt mm. sick all the time. Like, and to, to the point where like being so stressed, never sleeping, like literally sleeping like an hour here, an hour there with the laptop on the bed, like, you know, that type of thing. Um, never eating and like literally just being so stressed out that I would literally like dry heat. <laughs> like I, I couldn't be sick anymore because there's nothing there. And um, but my body thought it was meant to be sick. And like it, it got it got so bad with that. And I, I would I would be like, you know, de depressed and, and everything throughout the whole process. And uh, there's even times I'd be like walking, like go out for walks on my own at like four in the morning around Glasgow and just being like, like majorly upset <laughs> and like it 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 wasn't a good a good space that I was in at all it was it was highly highly stressful um but there's loads of lessons off it. it's not to say mm. that like everybody has to be in that position but I remember like speaking to to my dad about it recently um, and I was just saying to him like I remember being in this position and feeling like this and everything and he did he said something that was like <clears throat> it, it was so good he, he was like it never hurts anybody to be in that position. And I thought, that is such a smart thing to say. Like, dad's never been in business or anything like that. But his point being like, you know, hardship has never been a bad thing. Like, what it does for you in the long term. I mean, I've got an event coming up in Glasgow um, <laughs> on the 17th of this month. So a week today, in fact, right? So flying back. So it's an event in Glasgow. I live in New York. And we've been running the... Uh, planning the event from afar, arranging everything from afar. We've got um, over 60 of our private coaching clients flying in as well for it. And I, people keep saying to me, oh man, you must be so stressed. You must be so stressed about it. I, was like, I can do this stand on my head. Like after what I went through mm -hmm. with SFN, you know, SFN was extremely hard 
to put on. And because we had no money, there was no delegation. There was no team. There was, I've got a bigger team now to run to run an event for 60 people than I had to run an event for multiple thousands. You know what I mean? So, like, like I just had me and my business partner. That, mm-hmm. that was it. We had nobody. We did the sales calls. We did the outreach. We did the selling the tickets. We didn't even have a graphic designer. Like, like I would make all the imagery for every social media post. I do every social media post myself, ran every Facebook ad. We booked every speaker manually. We booked every flight for them, every hotel for them. We of course ran the actual event itself. We did all the schedules for multiple stages, multiple events. That was all done by two people. Like there was no staff for like five years. <laughs> well, for like four years actually. Um, and then um, when uh, QD came in, they started helping us with staffing and stuff, which was great. But up until then, my mom and dad did the tickets booths. You know, my mom, dad, and sister were were the free, free labor. It's all about that free labor. <laughs> yeah, that that was it. We we honestly. We we um we couldn't afford a team or anything. We had uh, we actually had an amazing thing called the SFN Ambassadors, and we had a bunch of amazing people who were in the fitness space, who were uh, fitness trainers, coaches, people who sometimes uh, weren't in it in a professional way, but just were really passionate about it. And we actually gathered a bit of a, a team there of people, and we put on events for them, and we got together, and mm-hmm. you know we really heroed them for being the ambassadors, but they were actually a huge part of what made the event even doable in the first few years because they were our sort of um they were our sort of team for for a lot of the stuff that went on across the weekend as well so like um like we wouldn't have anybody were like working full time across the the weekend by any means but people would do like an hour here two hours here for for different things um and that that made the whole thing doable because we had no cash <laughs> would, so if you went back now would you do it all again uh, I I certainly wouldn't choose to do it again, no. Um, but if I did it again, it would be a raving success in comparison. Because of what I know now about what makes an event successful, if we were able to do what we know from, let's say, five years of running it and doing it without any track record or this event being a thing, because you only get you only get one chance to make a first impression right and so if we knew what we knew over the five years if we were able to take all of that and put it into the first year then you know we would we would have been able to you know really put a stand on what this thing is in scotland and of course it's like you say like it ran it ran really successfully in the first year it probably looked um like it ran really smoothly um but it could have been way bigger had we not have gone in as complete novices like mm-hmm. myself and my business partner had never like i still to this day don't actually know what expo stands for <laughs> i have no idea like does it actually mean exhibition or does it mean I, I don't know. <laughs> right and that's literally what the 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 show was called right i saw other things were called expos so this was an expo as well i actually still to this day don't know what expo means um i'll probably google it after this um <laughs> that could be the name of the episode what does expo mean what does expo mean yeah and i think what you were saying about what your dad said to you uh, about hardship is definitely it's definitely true um although i'm pretty sure it's easy for him to say in hindsight now that he sees how well you've done yeah and you you mentioned at the time you were like feeling pretty down 
did you like ever speak to anyone about that? I know you have a partner now. Like, did you have anyone at the time? Nope. They didn't speak to really anybody about it. Um, the only person I actually, actually, no, there, there was two people that I spoke to about it near uh, when, when we were coming up to the first event and then going forward after that as well, the same two people really. So uh, one of which um, works for me now and a really, really close friend called Stephen. Um, like when he knew that I was going through um, like some really tough times with like planning the the show and everything that was going on and the struggles we were having. Um, I actually don't know if I met Stephen during the second year thought it was maybe the first year and um, but anyway Stephen going forward from there for like the next like three years Stephen would phone me every single week and make sure that I was all right and as the show would get closer he was hyper aware that it was going to be a really stressful time for me so he would phone me like every day and check in and make sure that I was okay um and then the other person was Mikey who uh became best man at my wedding um two years ago uh, he was the exact same. He knew that I was going through a tough time, so he would um, he would pick me up and take me for coffees at like eleven p.m. and like he knew that I would be working, so he'd just come and pick me up if I was like, "Man, it's so stressful. Like we need to do this, and there's only four weeks left, and this, that, and the other." He would just drive, just come and pick me up, and we'd go for coffees at like eleven p.m. And just talk it out. And um, so I had a couple of people that I didn't ask for help from, but they were very hyper aware that i needed help mm-hmm. and they sort of reached out to me so you know though without those two that that would have been um an insanely difficult thing to to go through but yeah yeah ha- having having a couple of people in your corner is definitely uh, definitely a big one but i i would say to anybody going forward because i actually I, I got asked to do a, a video for for my high school the other day to talk them through like what I had done and achievements and this that, and the other and and everything and what 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 the process was since I left high school and I really had to think about what I was going to say in that video beforehand because it would it's so easy to look at where I am now and want to go and replicate it right and I don't say that from a point of view of wanting to sound cocky or majorly confident or anything like I don't like talking about that stuff as you know but like where I am now is in a pretty good position right mm-hmm. and good position financially good position with having a good business that's got a great reputation good position with my family life etc it looks it looks good right so when I talk to people and I don't tell them about the last nine or ten years in the run-up to it then it's very easy to go oh so i should just go and start a business right but then on the other side of it i actually worry for who could who could see what i'm doing now and hear me talk about the benefit of having your own business go into business and it could end tragically right Mm -hmm. because in the run-up to sfn it would be it would be completely plausible that that person took their own life, right? And for, and you know, in that period, a different, not even a different person may have done it. I could have done it too. Like there, there was times when like, I, 
I remember us being like a week out from the event and the week out from the event, my flipping goodness, <laughs> the the stuff that happened in that in that final week when we were like, I don't know, probably like a hundred thousand pounds down. Like we had nothing in the bank because when you're running your first event, you don't have any money because a lot of like the ticket sales, et cetera, happen in the final week. And then a lot of the ticket money that you that you make goes through a processor and you don't get the money to post event. So even money that you're earning through the promotion of the event and paying for the event to be promoted, you don't get until afterwards, you know? So even when things are starting to go well, you're still super broke. And because we didn't have backers, we were sitting there with our contractors literally saying to us like, five days out from the event just to let you know if we don't get like eighty thousand pounds then we're just not turning up and you know you've got thousands of people holding tickets and flying in from all over the uk and and everything and the pressure for that to be on the heads of two people and the idea of it being like borderline fire festival right you know if if, if it actually goes in the way that at, that they're threatening that's like fire festival stuff right um so you're kind of like if that doesn't go well the the sheer fear of what could happen on the other side of that the embarrassment etc mm -hmm. people have taken their own lives for a lot less mm -hmm. do you know what i mean and so when you put it into that perspective i love being in business and i love helping people who want to be in business but i don't ever talk about why people who haven't got the drive or want to be in business, why they should change their mind and everybody should want to be in business. You know, you really need to want to be there. And a, a huge piece of advice for anybody like going forward who does go into business is to have the people they can speak to when they're stressed out, when they're doubting themselves, when they're feeling like shit and all that stuff. That, that's really, really key. Who, who knows what would have happened if I didn't have a couple of people in my corner that I didn't ask to be there? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a, an important... We, we spoke about last week about relationships um, and it's so important. I, I remember like when I, I... I can remember like that lowest point and like for my friend at the time just sent me like a song that we'd recorded when we were like younger and for some that, that that's all it took to just like pull me out but like if it didn't have those connections you're just like you're really you're already on your own like yeah. running your own business and so if you don't have anyone to sort of help you and i never asked anyone for help as well like yourself it's just unless you have that support around you it i think it's like almost impossible yeah. <laughs> to go at it yourself it, it's it's um it's torture right you know, especially if you don't if you don't come from a lot of money and have tons of backing going into your business or anything like that and having the security that if this all goes, you know, for better, like don't don't really have another term, like tits up, um, and not being able to just, you know, have somebody bail you out if it goes completely wrong. There's a lot of stress around, you know what's going to happen if it does go that way you know mm -hmm. both from a personal point of view but also we're all so wrapped up in what everybody thinks of us and you know everybody takes the piss as soon as you start a business almost like a 
why do you think you can start a business type thing? You know, when they're not entrepreneurial, it's it's almost like, uh, like I can't believe that person's starting a business and they'll even like judge you and laugh about you and stuff like that. There's a lot of people who you thought were your best friends who will genuinely be hoping that you fail and it's going to be like a hero moment for them if, if you do. And that's sort of playing on your mind as well. Like I need this to succeed for, for, for that reason. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes along um, with the what if, what if this fails? And if you can't talk that out with people, it's, it's, um, it's a dangerous position to be in, you know? And every time, like I was saying about, about Mikey that became best man at my wedding, after the second year of running SFN, uh, we actually moved in together in Glasgow and I lived with Mikey for a couple of years and like we, we had the best time living together um because he was super driven he wasn't an entrepreneur but he was super driven in his work and he's a um like he goes and values houses and things like that but like i think he was like the youngest person in in uh, in in the company uh in his position but he was also like out earning everybody in his position because he kept he, he would ask for a pay rise every six months and he couldn't be really denied it because he was outworking everybody. So he's like, he's like, yeah, there's literally people who are like 62 in the office um, and I'm out earning them and I'm like 31. Right. And he didn't do that in like a, a cocky way. It was just a sort of, he just wanted to get to the top. Right. And so we were, we were much the same in terms of like gamifying our work and, um, every single time he would be stressed out about work or I was stressed out about work. We always had this thing, right? Uh, get the kettle on. It's a 30 minute cup of tea. And it was always like, we made a cup of tea. We sat down on the couch and we just, we went through every scenario. We usually worked out that the worst case scenario wasn't as scary as we thought, which would take a lot of pressure off. Um, but then we'd also come up with, um, with different perspectives and ways of getting out of things. So like um, solving problems, basically. And, you know, having that person to just bounce off was was next level. It was it was great. Yeah. So now so you're married and you're living in New York with your wife. Um, to how did your kind of entrepreneurial spirit and uh, the amount of hours that you were dedicating to growing this event impact your relationships throughout that time? Then obviously it worked because you you've got a relationship and you're now married. So but but did that impact your kind of early relationships you had before the one you have now with your wife? Bit, big time it was terrible for uh, earlier relationships like absolutely terrible mm -hmm. um because all i did was work i prioritized work and yeah like pro probably wasn't uh probably wasn't a very good friend or anything either as well pardon me uh, purely because um i wasn't there it wasn't that i ever like uh, like put myself or my business ahead of them. It was just that I did much less um, keeping in contact, much less uh, going out with them and, you know, like nights out and things like that. So I was just pretty absent, to be honest, across like all relationships really. And business was the only thing that I focused on. Um, but honestly, what one of the, one of the biggest things for me that, that completely changed the game with mental health headspace around business and everything was um i actually typed into youtube at the time when i was just like in a terrible space i typed in because tony robbins can solve everything right <laughs> so so i typed in uh tony robbins depression 
and I was just like, right, he'll come up with something. And he did. He, 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 uh, he had the goods right in the first video that I watched. And then um, he was basically like, if you're, uh, so I did Tony Robbins depression business or something like that. And it was a video about people in business, uh, in depression and like how to get out of it. And it was so unbelievably true and simple and such a, an easy fix for a complex issue, which was that the majority of people that um, are in business and are depressed because of a result of being in business are usually putting 100% of their identity and all of their time and focus on the business. And quite simply, that means that if you have a good day in business, you're the happiest person in the room. But if you're having a bad time in business, then everything's terrible. 100% of your being and what you're there for on the planet is failing, right? And what his suggestion was, and it was so simple, was to simply have four or five things that you measure instead of just one, you know, and that's like having hobbies or measuring even your relationships and how they're moving forward and things like that. So that you've got multiple things you can draw a win from each day. And so like now I like, I play golf every day. I play piano every day. I exercise every day. Um, I do jujitsu like I've got all of these other focuses that I measure and like if I had a crap day in business then I'm like well I was playing great golf today or I hit a PB in the gym or something or if I go into the gym and I'm not as strong as I was um the session before and that if that was my only focus I'd be feeling like I was going backwards and that would be my identity but instead I just had a really good day in business you know and so by having these multiple focuses that was such a game changer for me. And the first one that I put into place was actually just getting really back into fitness again. And, you know, measuring it at all times. I, I measured all my workouts, my lifts, et cetera, and just focusing on that, like as much as I was focusing on my business, probably not as many hours, <laughs> but, but holding it at, with as much importance as the business itself. And that really allowed me to switch off, find wins where business was tough. I was able to find wins in my day over here. Um, and then I just kept adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. And so now, you know, I, I'm even like, you know, in a roundabout way, measuring relationships in, in the sense that I'm always trying to become a better husband um, and always looking at like, what can I do better? So I'm always sort of, you know, having an element of measuring to that as well. Um, and seeing that as a place where I can draw a win from, you know, it, it, in my life, if you will. That's, this is why I want to do these podcasts. Because last week, <laughs> I literally said, if the business isn't doing well, I'm not happy. <laughs> so yeah. that's, you know, that's like a good bit of insight to me. It gives me something to think about as well. Because um, I'm all or nothing. Like it's all, and at the moment, it's just all business. And I'm aware I need to be slightly better balanced. And I think, you know, what you said there is basically the kind of information I'm looking for. Yeah. It's just whether or not I can implement it. Well, honestly, the best thing you can do is start mapping out your weeks ahead of time and putting in your hobbies and your downtime before you put in your work. And, you know, you'll get the same amount of work done. It's not taking anything away from the work. You'll just be super, super efficient with all of your work that you get done. And because you'll be like, it needs to fit into this two hour period rather than this four or five hour period. 
um, you'll start to find ways to delegate things that you weren't thinking about before because you just don't have the time to do them. And then you'll also have a better headspace and better productivity when you do your work anyway, because you've had your downtime, you've stepped away from the business, you're feeling good, you're feeling energized, getting better sleep, more sleep. But one of the best things ever uh, in business, just get more sleep, <laughs> get more sleep and you'll you'll have a better business. It's one of the easiest things ever. Um, yeah, yeah. Have, having those things in first and then mapping your your business hours around it, I find is so key. So true. Yeah, I, I'm the same with my workouts. Like my workouts go in my schedule weeks in advance and no work will go over the top of that. And ever since you, as soon as you start prioritizing that, everything else just falls into place. It is really bizarre. Yeah. I've also been one of these people who will not compromise on sleep. Like I get at least seven hours of sleep each night and you just, just so much more productive in the days that follow. Yeah, I'd be so pissed off if I if I only got seven hours sleep as well, right? So How many hours do you get? Like I get at least eight hours sleep. Nice. Mm -hmm. right and i used to be the person who got one to two hours sleep and then i'd be back up and then i would take a half hour here and 45 minutes here and 15 minutes here i had the worst sleep schedule of all time which obviously made me really ill um and now i'm the polar opposite i'm like i, I want eight or nine hours sleep <laughs> right <laughs> see when you signed into this podcast recording we both said how good your camera was looking but maybe it's just your skin is yeah, glowing yeah. So yeah. Much <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe that's it yeah yeah all the the facials that you're getting over there in new york that's it <laughs> love it Love it. So that's cool. So I guess we kind of just wanted to touch on a few marketing points as well um, to kind of to round off the episode because you uh, we're going to call you the king of marketing. There we go. We've given you the accolade. So so yeah, I think there was a few points we just wanted to cover really. So so what what goes into making good content was one of our first questions that we were going to ask. Really knowing your your audience is is number one uh, rather than making assumptions as to as to what they want to see to learn what it is that they react to already in the marketplace is a really big one. Uh, second one that tags into that really nicely as well is actually measuring what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. So when you are testing out pieces of content, don't go, well, this is part of my schedule. This is part of the variation of what I do. Instead, actually take a look at what moves the needle. Um, fourth, I'd probably say is actually uh, getting clear on what those uh, those needles are. Because uh, one thing that people love to talk about in the marketing space, especially with social media, is that it's got to be, everything is based upon engagement. Everything is based upon engagement. But yet, I'll probably make more sales off the back of the, the content that I put out there that gets hardly any likes, but it's very proof-driven, right? So that stuff doesn't go down well on on socials, but um, in terms of engagement, reach, etc., but the people who see it take action from it, come into the DM, say, I want to work with you, jump on calls, buy programs, etc. Um, so, so that's a really big one is, you know, have, um, have certain posts that are there for engagement purposes, have certain posts that are there to build your authority in the marketplace, and then have certain posts that are there to show the goods of what you're capable of. And that doesn't just mean coaching and consulting as well. That's like, you know, in Lewis's business, proof is um, is all over his platform, right? So you've got this amazing system, Lewis, where you are uh, sharing proof while sharing engaging content, right? Because you reshare amazing 
um, amazing pictures of your customers, like your your customers, the food that they buy um, in your place of work. Um, so, I mean, you get to tick both of those boxes there, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but especially in the coaching and consulting space, you want to tick all those boxes. And then the final piece, and this is one that, that not many people will actually do, but it is a game changer, is uh, to share much of the stuff that we have talked about today, right? So talk about, you know, the times when times weren't as good, talk about the stories, um, you know, of the transition between the struggling days to where you are now, um, you know, those, those types of things, basically sharing stories from the past that are very revealing and also um, allow you to connect better with the marketplace. I would say probably the two best types of content for me that actually get people coming directly into the DMs and with full intent of buying something from me basically right away is um, when I share proof of the wins of the private coaching clients. And then second of all, when I share stories about hardship back in the day. And it's that, it's that connection point. It works so, so well in the, in the social media world to, to, build, um, to build connections with people that you may never have spoken to before. Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you your thoughts on this and like how, obviously for me, I've got like, the, I know you work with a lot of PTs, so obviously they're going to post a lot about themselves. Um, but for like a business like mine, where, you know, it's more about the food and like, sort of business in general how how much should i be posting about myself and also should i be getting involved in like politics social issues because i see a lot of people with bigger followings than me and they'll still just post the same food pictures all the time and i kind of feel that i should you know as a business with a personality i should be get involved in these conversations but other people i've spoke to are a bit more like I don't know if they're just worried or if it from a marketing perspective it's the wrong thing to do what do you think about that um right well first of all with posting about yourself when you're in the sort of business that that you're in I definitely think that you should uh, and I definitely think that you can post daily in terms of uh, within your stories so I think you use the personal brand through your stories more than anything and then you post uh, you know from your point of view uh, on your uh, on your actual news feed, I would do that sort of infrequently. So that would maybe be like once a week, once every two weeks. So you're still there. You're still there multiple times, but um, the food is the hero of the news feed. And then you're almost the thing in the stories building that personal connection. Um, so that, that would be the first one. In terms of using politics and sharing opinions on politics and things like that, that sort of polarizing content is excellent for business, but you know what's going to happen. It is going to turn away certain people who are fans of the brand if they're very opinionized. But then on the other side, it is going to create super fans out of people who are passive Instagram followers, right? So um, you just need to know the pros and cons of going into that. And then really, it basically comes down to ownership of the decision ahead of time. Like you need, if you're going to go down that route and you want to share your opinion on things like politics, you need to really want to do that and know that there is risk alongside it. So where it can be really, really beneficial for business, there's also a great deal of risk alongside it because, you know, if, um, if a lot of people turn against you, then that can affect the business. But 
it can also have a lot of uh, a lot of pros as well. But I know most people will will stay away from it. It's um, it's the type of thing you're going to have to yeah take ownership before you you make that decision. Except yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess I guess like in terms of politics, I probably wouldn't post anything because I just can't stand anything to do with politics. But there's a lot of like social issues, you know, like during during lockdown. Obviously, there's the Black Lives Matter, and like people were posting about that, and I posted about that. But I just thought it was interesting to see other businesses who are like similar, um, just not really getting involved and. I, I'm really glad that you said that, Neil, that you, you're encouraging Lewis to get involved. I'm always trying to push him to do more in his stories and show himself on the brand more. So I'm so glad that you've done that because now I've got a good excuse to, to keep on. <laughs> I hate showing myself. Yeah. I don't know why. I, th I, just... I think that would, that would be the best. Like you, you want them to also, and this will happen, by the way, um, and it already will happen now, um, but even more so if you're on the stories all the time is um, when they see you walk in, it will be like a celebrity. I don't right? fucking know. Definitely not it may, it may not be to the same level as like, oh my God, it's like, it's The Rock. The Rock just walked <laughs> in, right? It might not be to that same level, but it will be like, that's that's the guy. That, that's the guy. That's the guy from the stories, you know? Um, so there will be that sort of cool thing of if people see you, recognize you, et cetera, um, they'll, they'll absolutely love that as well. But um, yeah, you should definitely have face behind the brand, and you never know where that could go as well. By the way, right? That like not many people are going to come to you with a with a, a a cookbook or a recipe book deal under your brand name, but they might under your name. Yeah, I know it's it's really different for personal trainers. So like my business uh, setup is completely different to Lewis's, but it is that kind of effort behind the scenes of doing the stories and daily updates of my dog and my wife and house renovation, just all these little things that go on that does build that connection with people. And it's really nice when I've had people following me for like two, three years and they kind of know all about me. And then suddenly they need a trainer and I'm the go-to person because they know all about me and my life. And I do think that that does make such a big difference. Um, so I look forward to seeing more of Lewis's dogs on his grams Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the Kanye West like mask. Like, that's, that's the only way. I I don't know why. I just I just never. I don't deal well with positive feedback, and yeah. I, I so I don't want anyone to know who I am. Almost, it's weird. I know it's kind of stupid, but. There, there's yeah. lots of people like that. Lots yeah. of people. You're you're not alone in it. Um, but it's something that you'll either get used to or you'll learn to accept. Um, for for the benefit that it it brings to your business. Well, I think that's that's another reason I want to start this podcast as well because I'm never in front of the camera, as Michael says. Um, and so I, I thought you know it's something I'm really interested in, and it'll help me. You know, be more eloquent, and basically, maybe... this is a self-help group for Lewis. So yeah, board, Neil. That's that's what we should have called the podcast. Yes, we should have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, I think I think you are right, though. I think putting yourself out there does lead to more opportunities. I mean, you, I mean, you know, to go full circle, you reached out to, you know, someone that you found on LinkedIn for your first expo, whatever that means, and you they eventually bought it yeah you know um and if you hadn't put yourself out there and you know try to approach someone and 
get that first meeting, that might never have happened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you, you've got to uh, pretty much every single thing that has really moved my, well, any of my businesses forward over the last few years um, in any sort of significant way has been something that I felt super uncomfortable about doing um, initially. And I had to really push through the pain barrier to do it. Um, you know, like uh, I, I didn't like being in front of people and speaking like uh, like a bit of like an introvert. And I just had to become more ex uh, extroverted to be able to run this expo, very confident in front of people and get myself into into that situation. Had to get uh, comfortable with selling cold on the phone, which is something super hard to do. Um, and then moving into the coaching and consulting space, I hated being on camera more than anything. Like hated it. I couldn't. I like. I I would set up my phone to record like a thirty second video clip about stuff that I know inside and out, and I'd be there two hours later, like mm -hmm. sweating angry because i just couldn't articulate what i wanted to say in 30 seconds now whenever i meet our uh, videographer he like comes to whenever we we run an event um and we've got got him coming uh, next wednesday to, to glasgow as well um but i come with like 10 to 20 video titles literally just the title of the video i've not planned the video at all and I will literally do all 20 videos, one take every single time talking for like three minutes, like so simple now, but it's because I put myself in that position where I had to be terrible at it, but continue doing the reps until it became pretty automatic. And the same thing is true with knowing that if I was going to take my business to the next level, I needed to be on stages. So I need to get onto stages for, um, for the authority status that that brings, not just for what I can sell from stage. Um, it's the next logical step in where I am and where I was uh, in my business, let's say the last couple of years. And so I hate public speaking more than anything. Like it, like it's so unnatural to me, it's, it's unbelievable. But I knew that was the next step. So I started actually reaching out to people and offering to speak on their stages specifically because I needed to, to get the reps in. And then, um, you know, four weeks ago, I was um, I was in London speaking to, I think, maybe like 400 coaches and consultants um, at Expert Empires. It was, you know, it was pretty petrifying. But, um, but at the same time, I, I actually went on stage and enjoyed the whole thing. Whereas, like, I wouldn't have even been able to step on stage in front of 30 people like two years prior, you know. So a lot of the stuff that we feel very uncomfortable about as cliched as it as it sort of sounds it's it's actually the very thing that is going to unlock the the hyper growth on the other side of it it's you know it's often the things that we're nervous about that we're scared about that we feel that we're not good at it's just getting good at that overcoming it um to get to the other side you know yeah getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable i like it That's yeah it. I'm, I'm the same with with my speaking too i like i've done a few speaking events now before covid not done any since but i hate public speaking like it's honestly my worst thing i don't feel comfortable i hate the build-up i even hate the process of doing it at the time but afterwards i love it yeah. um, and i just know that everyone within the industry that i look up to and i respect are going out and speaking on stages so i know that for me to get to that level it's something that i just have to do and I'm trying to force myself to like it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And it 
it'll take a lot of self-talk um, mm -hmm. to to make yourself like it initially, but then it actually will become borderline the norm. Like I'm mm -hmm. actually really excited about presenting to 60 of our private clients mm -hmm. next week. So it's like smaller room, it's it's my crowd, like it's not speaking to a stage of people that I, I'm not sure who's in the crowd, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really, really excited about it and I'll, I'll enjoy the entire process. Um, including like what we've got planned for the night before, the night after, et cetera. Um, but when it comes to uh, speaking on uh, other people's stages, that's something that I I tell myself in the run-up to like speaking in front of like those 400 people, I was telling myself the whole day, an internal sort of thing just running around in my head going, I can't wait to get up there. I can't wait to get mm -hmm. up there. I can't wait to get up there. And I had to self-talk myself to do it. Um, and self-talk is is one of the most powerful things that you can ever have as a tool in your business is to understand that this is something that anybody can do and you can do it throughout your whole day it can be the thing that gets you out of bed instead of hitting snooze 50 times it can be the very thing that gets you clients today that wouldn't have got got them otherwise it can be the very thing that gets more work done it can be the very thing that gets you up on stage instead of pushing it back on like oh that's something for the future it's all about that self-talk everything becomes down everything comes down to your self-talk even when things go wrong you know th something goes terribly wrong i had something go really really badly wrong um about two years ago right um which i've shared on my private podcast but i might keep it there and um the immediately i panicked and was completely stressed out and i wouldn't usually let myself get in that stage but instantly after that, so I maybe did that for like one or two minutes, panicked about it. Then I got a um, piece of paper out and I wrote at the top 10 reasons why this is a great thing to happen. And I wrote down the 10 things that I could come up with that were massive, massive benefits of this thing happening. And it completely changed my headspace on the whole thing like that. And it was just because I changed the story around what that thing really meant. You know, and so if we can if we can stop ourselves being nervous around things that we think are difficult, or if we can take the things that we say are just not in our wheelhouse, and we can convince ourselves that we do have the ability to do it, uh, and instill that self belief. If we can then also take anything that goes wrong in business, and we can change the story to something being positive, and be happier, and you know more energized, and everything that comes with that, rather than allowing it to ruin our entire week in business, and maybe even more, you know, that all comes down to nothing more than controlling our thoughts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is it, and that is something that nobody is in a position where they can't utilize. Yeah, no, that's a nice little uh, mindset uh, lesson for everyone to finish yeah, on. Um, I think. Uh, will be excited to hear yeah to no say. i think i think they will and we always kind of like to well i say uh, we always like to this is still very second early podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, second we always but, like to for the yeah <laughs> we, we will like yeah. to in the future kind of finish with with kind of the big question of like just hearing your story and knowing kind of how well things are going in your business now just like a very simple question which we don't think people are asked that often and it is are you happy yeah yeah, I, I think I think I am. Um, but like I ponder this question a lot myself as to am I happy? Uh, and what would make me happier 
and then also questioning where I see my sort of like five or 10 year goals. Is there, is there any probability that that isn't what is going to make me happy as well? As in like, people are always saying, I'll be happy when I'll be content when, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I'm always questioning that like my, myself and uh, my wife were uh, watching last night, uh, the holiday, right? So uh, the Christmas film, the holiday. Very early to be watching a Christmas film. I, I love know. Christmas films. I, I start in October. <laughs> um, so with, with the holiday, like I pointed this out to, to Adri as well, is, um, I, and I, I literally just looked at her and I went, grass is always greener. Um, because the, like Cameron Diaz in, in the film, she's in this like big massive house. She's a multimillionaire. She's got the pool. And the thing that she really wanted was a few weeks away in a little cottage with no um with no uh like wi-fi or anything like that she just wanted to be completely switched off in a really small house on her own just chilling out and doing her thing um and and like i I then brought that into like a bit of a conversation with with adri about like you know what we want in the future and and different things because it's very easy to look at um like Zillow over here, right move in, in the UK and be like, so this is, this is what we can afford now, right? So it's like, wow, this is what we can afford now. And it's like the next house and the next house and the next house. And it's like, um, is that actually going to make a big difference? <laughs> Probably not. Um, it, in terms of um, where I feel uh, happiness now, I, I just try and... Uh, I just try and be like hyper present with everything. I think the the thing that really pulled pulled me back from um, being happy once I had discovered that thing of like having multiple hobbies and everything was still bringing my business into them. So I would still go into Christmas and I'd be like, yeah, I'm off for a few days, but realistically I'm like on my phone working or taking notes or in my head, I wasn't present at all. So I've gotten to the stage now of being super super comfortable with um with switching off when i'm doing my hobbies when i'm training when i want any downtime and i'm really unapologetic about it as well you know like i i would never i would never ever feel bad about taking time off especially um when i tell all of my clients that they need to take more time off themselves Mm -hmm. so I, i i would never work seven days a week around the clock and then tell them, you know, you need to get some balance there and you need to take more time off and everything. I, I want to be the example of what I preach. So like I tell people, do this with marketing, do this with marketing, do this with marketing, what I'm telling them to do. I also want to tell them to get more sleep and then be the person who gets eight or nine hours sleep every night. And then I want to take time off. I want to focus on my family. I want to um, focus on hobbies and different things as well. Um but yeah, I mean, if I can, if I can add one extra thing, if I'm not taking up too much time here, um, I, I reckon that happiness is also a goal that can't be achieved and maintained continuously. So I don't think you can reach somewhere where you're happy and I don't think you can stay there. I, I reckon it, it's almost like a Bitcoin chart, right? So it's like it it jumps around a lot, but I reckon you can hover around happiness. So you can get to a stage where your life, what you're working on, 
um, what you've got um, outside of your workplace, your hobbies, your routines. I reckon you can get to a place where you're at least content at all times and you get those areas of happiness throughout it. I mean, like, like every single day, there's things that challenge me. There's things that I don't like. There's things that I don't want to do, but I do them anyway. You know, a lot of the things in business that make you successful is the like the old thing of like the boring stuff done continuously brings in the results. So there's things that I don't want to do every day that I do anyway. Um, and I don't think that I can just have a smile on my face continuously all day, every day, but I would still deem myself as happy. Do you know what I mean? So like every single day I laugh, every single day I smile, but during that same day, I've probably had an hour here that was maybe a little bit more difficult and challenging, a little bit more stressful. Um, yeah, I see happiness as something that that we can aim towards, but I think that something that can actually make people very unhappy is feeling like they're they aren't happy at all times. Like that's supposed to be the goal. Like that they can't be upset, they can't feel bad about themselves, they can't challenge themselves mentally. They can't have a bad day. A lot of people can end up unhappy because of an unrealistic expectation of what happiness should look like. Um, that they have to be a millionaire and they have to do all this type of thing, but also that happiness has to be something that's maintained for every minute and every hour of the day. I think everybody's going to have challenges. Even Kanye West said, um, "Rich people have problems; um, they're just different problems, <laughs> right?" So um, even it, even if you think that you're going to be happy when you hit a million, um, you know there's going to be plenty of things that happen um, when you hit that first million that really upset you <laughs> throughout throughout your day. It's still going to be there. Love it. I think anyone who could drop a Kanye West quote into an answer has nailed it. So come on, man. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and to be honest, as much I actually really like Kanye Kanye West music, especially older music. Um, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I do think he is like an absolute fruitcake. Um, <laughs> like, or, or, honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't take any quote from him usually. But I, I've always thought that that one was quite quite a good one. It was good. Love it. Thank you so much for coming Brilliant. on. I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Man. Thanks for Cheers. listening, guys. We'll see you again next week.